banana. Okay, it's recording. Um, and uh, yeah, I guess I'll clap when I hear the three, two, one, or whatever. Okay. Yeah, me too. And then we'll we'll try this out. All right. Yeah. <clears throat> I'm gonna push the button then. <laughs> Boop, 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 Joe Rogan. <laughs> oh, this is the Doddler's Philosophy Podcast again and again and again. Uh, I'm Ryan. I'm Harland. Welcome. Uh, yeah. We're <laughs> Doddlers. Uh, okay, so this uh, today we're going to talk to you guys, uh, whoever you guys are. It's... Can zero be guys? Anyway, um, we're going to talk about uh, a model of, well, let me just put it out there. I'm, I'm not going to screw around. It's called the Chinese Room. I don't know as much about it as Harlan does. And it's uh, an idea that was produced in, well, at least published in 1980 um, or earlier by this man by the name of John Searle, who's a philosopher. Um, and honestly, I don't even know his affiliation. Highland, you're going to have to, if that's even important, you can tell the world. Berkeley. Berkeley. Um, he thinks it is. There you go. And so we're just going to talk about it uh, as much as we can for as long as we can. And it's going to be fucking mind-blowing and incredible. And everyone will just like, everyone being zero people, We'll just love it. So, uh, without further ado, I think I'm going to hand it off to Harland, or we'll just edit this part out later, and I'll just like be back talking about stuff. I can tell you're a trained salesman. <laughs> um, but yes, we're going to talk about John Searle's Chinese Room thought experiment argument uh, paper. Minds, Brains, and Programs from Behavioral and Brain Sciences, 1980. Uh, henceforth, as we'll get to eventually, um, Searle still stands behind, as far as I can tell, every word of this paper. But, uh, might as well jump right into it and get to the argument. So I'm going to do a bit of verbatim quoting to just let Searle present uh, his argument for you, and then we'll see if we can get Ryan to get it, and we'll see if we can agree that we know what he's saying. Uh, mm. So from his abstract, Searle clearly states that this article can be viewed as an attempt to explore the consequences of two propositions. One, intentionality in human beings and animals is a product of causal features of the brain. Two, instantiating a computer program is never, by itself, a sufficient condition of intentionality. That's what he's going to... Proved. That's what this argument is all about, in Searle's own terms. Uh, what is intentionality? Uh, we'll, we'll get we'll get there, right? 
We're, we'll try. We'll hope. It's our intention. Right, so, yeah, and it doesn't mean that. <laughs> but it's our intention, indeed. Um, okay, so to get into the big, long quote, here is Searle giving us the Chinese room. Quote, suppose that I'm locked in a room and given a large batch of Chinese writing. Suppose, furthermore, as is indeed the case, that I know no Chinese, either written or spoken, and that I'm not even confident that I could recognize Chinese writing as Chinese writing, distinct from, say, Japanese writing or meaningless squiggles. Now suppose further that after this first batch of Chinese writing, I'm given a second batch of Chinese script, together with a set of rules for correlating the second batch with the first batch. The rules are in English, and I understand these rules, as well as any other native speaker of English. They enable me to correlate one set of formal symbols with another set of formal symbols, and all that formal means here is that I can identify the symbols entirely by their shapes. Now suppose also that I'm given a third batch of Chinese symbols together with some instructions again in English that enable me to correlate elements of the third batch with the first two batches. And these rules instruct me how to give back certain Chinese symbols with certain sorts of shapes in response to certain sorts of shapes given me in the third batch. Unknown to me, the people who are giving me all of these symbols call the first batch a script, they call the second batch a story, and they call the third batch questions. Furthermore, they call the symbols that I give back in response to the third batch answers to the questions. And the set of rules that they gave me in English, they call the program. Now just to complicate the story a little, imagine that these people also give me stories in English, which I understand. And they then ask me questions in English about these stories, and I give them back answers in English. Suppose also that after a while I get so good at following the instructions for manipulating the Chinese symbols, and the programmers get so good at writing the programs, that from the external point of view, that is, from the point of view of somebody outside the room in which I am locked, my answers to the questions are absolutely indistinguishable from those of native Chinese speakers. Nobody, just looking at my answers, can tell that I don't speak a word of Chinese. Let us also suppose that my answers to the English questions are, as they no doubt would be, indistinguishable from those of other native English speakers for the simple reason that I am a native English speaker. From the external point of view, from the point of view of someone reading my answers, the answers to the Chinese questions and the English questions are equally good. But in the Chinese case, unlike the English case, I produce the answers by manipulating uninterpreted formal symbols. As far as the Chinese is concerned, I simply behave like a computer. I perform computational operations on formally specified elements. For the purposes of Chinese, I am simply an instantiation of the computer program. It seems to me quite obvious in the example that I do not understand a word of the Chinese stories. 
I have inputs and outputs that are indistinguishable from those of a native Chinese speaker, and I can have any formal program you like, but I still understand nothing. For the same reasons, any given computer program understands nothing of any stories, whether in Chinese, English, or whatever. Since, in the Chinese case, the computer is me, and in the cases where the computer is not me, the computer has nothing more than I have in the case where I understand nothing. Unquote. <laughs> you sound like we watched a video and you sound, <laughs> you found a way to sound like him, which was great. Well, yeah, we need to do a little, you know, got to <laughs> spice it up with some impressions and whatever. Right, yeah, yeah. To get through a quote that long. His cadence and all that, you, you, got, you captured it. He's distinct. He's a distinctive speaker. Yeah. Um, so that was the long version of the of Searle's version of the Chinese Room. Um, I take that to be this shorter and nu- numerical argument. So premise one is. Searle is placed in an enclosure. You know, that's one of the things we need. Two, Searle is given three batches of writing and a set of formal correlation rules and instructions. Uh, The rules or instructions are in the language that he speaks natively, and the three batches of writing are in a language that he can only interpret formally. Number three... Searle does not know Chinese. Number four, Searle understands English. Uh, Five, Searle is asked questions in English and responds as a native speaker would. Six, Searle is asked questions in Chinese and responds as a native speaker would. Seven, Searle's English responses are the result of being a native English speaker. But eight, Searle's Chinese responses are the result of performing computational operations on formally specified elements according to a program. And then we can see if we, you know, if we think five and six and seven and eight are any different, right? Nine, while Searle, while programmatically performing these formal computational operations on Chinese writing, does not understand the stories written in Chinese. That's the Searle premise. The whole thing, I think, hinges on that and whether we're willing to accept it. Is it correct that while performing the computational operations, he does not understand Chinese? Um... Because 10, while performing the native speaking of English, he does understand the story written in English. You know, those two are the hinge propositions, I think. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then no computer programmatically performing formal computational operations on any language is relevantly different than Searle operating on Chinese. I think that one's fine. I'm willing to you know, buy that maybe. Right? So the conclusion <sighs> just being no computer formally performing computational operations in language L understands the stories <laughs> written in language L. Um, and I now realize that wasn't all that much shorter. But, so... <laughs> I sent you over the paper and you tried reading the paper and then I just spouted all this at you. What do you... Do you think you... Get it? What do you think? You got the Chinese room in your own words? Well, uh, I I would if there was one part that I'm not quite clear on, and I've read it a number of times, 
And apparently you philosophers get it, and I just don't. And it is why why the batches of symbol symbols or whatever? Like what why why can't there just be you know, rules and a whole big bucket of symbols. Like, why can't he just know to grab the symbol that he needs from the rules? Like, why do there need to be batches? What's the significance of a batch? Is it something to do with computers? And I'm just being, you know, computer illiterate on that. Um, or is it just him saying the word batch and everybody's just following along because they, unlike me, are just like, yeah, yeah, okay, find another batch. It doesn't matter. What's the significance of the batches, the three batches and the rules? I also noticed the word batch because I had the orthographic satiation experience of reading it so many times that <laughs> yeah. I was like, the word, it started to sound like a weird noise. Right. Uh, but I don't think that anything turns upon that particular lexical selection. Um, I don't mm-hmm. read anything into that. I thought batch could just mean set, group, chunk of writing, you know, more than one Chinese symbol. I don't think there's anything about batch that matters. Okay, so it's just a, you know, what I'm trying to understand, is this many events or is he abstracting to just, it just could be just one event. Like he's just in the box. He gets, you know, he has a, a first batch, which he calls a script, which I'm not sure what he's meaning by the script, but then he gets a, a, story, a story of some kind. <clears throat> and then finally, you know, uh, there are questions. You know, and so I'm not sure exactly. Oh, okay. yeah, th- I need yeah. to disentangle all of that. I'm not quite sure, like, what, how, it, what is the actual sequence? If you were to make a little video of this, how would it go? You know, of the event of him yeah, and cool. the, okay. in the room. I can give you something for that. So the reasons that we use the word script story in questions are two. Uh, the first is that what we are doing is running a Turing test. And two, the reason in particular that it's the word script and story is that Searle was writing in response to a particular group of AI researchers at Yale led by Roger Shank. And those are the words that they used Mm -hmm. in their article that Searle was targeting. So what Shank's strategy was to make their little AI, and this is back in the days when things like that Eliza pseudo-psychologist program Mm -hmm. were being written where it's they pick up on certain keywords and then put those into some canned phrases with a couple of blank fill in the blanks or whatever to kind of approximate or trick the interpreter into thinking that they knew what was going on um shank wrote he would write scripts about what is it like to go to a restaurant you know yeah, well, uh-huh. you meet the host and they take you to your table and you sit and you wait and then the waiter comes and then so that there would be this list of what happens. And mm-hmm. then they would give the program the story, a particular story. The script is a more abstract thing that just describes restaurant experiences. The story is about one day at one restaurant. Mm-hmm. You go in and you sit down, you order a hamburger, they gotcha. bring you a hamburger. Then the person angrily stands up and (laughs) yells at the waitress and leaves. And then you ask the program questions that have information that was not directly contained in the story, such as, did the person eat the hamburger? Right. 
it can't just go back to the text and look that up. It has to somehow infer, no, it didn't, because if you, you know, angrily leave and, and say it was burnt or whatever, then you haven't probably eaten it. So that's where those, that's a bit of the background. So then what we, you were saying, describe like a movie of what happens. Yeah, might as so, well. Yeah, because I, <laughs> yeah. Go ahead. A bunch of uh, computer programmers in white lab coats the night before are prepping this room. You know, I kind of envision it in a clearing in the forest. And it's this little like one room schoolhouse type thing, maybe even with a steeple on it, whatever. And they go in there and they're carrying heavy boxes, like file boxes that you can assume are laden with lots and lots of paper. Mm-hmm. And they're stacking them up in there in little Ikea bookshelves with all the squares. And then they set this big table up and then they, you know, maybe even gig, um, put a keg of beer in the corner or whatever and some snacks. These are humanitarians. <laughs> uh, so then they know that next morning Cyril's going to come and they're going to... So he shows up and everyone claps as he walks down the <laughs> aisle of all the programmers and down the red carpet and he goes in the room and they close the door and then they put about six bolt locks on it so he's in there and there's just a little postal slot in the door is all that we that's the otherwise it's just a breathing tube in. yeah one of them carries forward a small file folder where there is a batch slash stack of five pieces of paper, each of which has, you know, we do large print because Searle's getting old. Uh, You know, they have about four Chinese characters on five pieces of paper, whatever, and we slide that through the slot and, and begin to wait. So eventually, a they slide the file folder back out the postal slot with new Chinese symbols on it, and let's say that the what the symbols that were slid in meant is you know something about what did you have for breakfast this morning and then the thing that comes out is oh thanks for asking i had a delicious denny's moons <laughs> over my hammy and they say, oh, okay, well, that's that makes sense. That seems like a legitimate response. And then they continue asking questions. So what these people outside are doing is running a Turing test. They want to know, is whatever black box, whatever is inside this black box, can it speak Chinese? Does it know Chinese? Does it understand Chinese? You know, all these different characterizations. That's a lot of well, what... Well, okay. Let me just stop you real quick. But, yeah. Hold on. Why don't you give a quick thing about what the Turing test is? Just in case. Is that okay? Good idea. You... Yes. Okay, so... Um, Turing test... Um, what, like 1940s? Is that when this one was published? I think so. Uh, Computing Machinery and Intelligence, Alan Turing. Um, it was sort of a... The way I interpret it, it's like a replacement for various what he considered unfair requests by skeptics um you know will can a computer think 
people used to ask. Mm-hmm. And Turing was like, well, what is, I, I haven't heard thinking operationally defined to the extent that I would be able to prove it to you. I don't know what you want it to do. You want it to think. Okay, well, what is that? I'm a scientist. I just can give you operations. And you haven't defined thinking. So let me try to help you. Let me design a test that everyone ought to agree indicates that the computer can do something interesting. We don't have to argue about whether it constitutes thinking or not. But what's something that everybody would be interested in? Well, I think that it would be pretty interesting if a computer could maintain a conversation in natural language with a human uh, inquisitor for some arbitrary amount of time, say 10 minutes. So the way that this test would run in anachronistic terms, like we think about it the way we do it now, you know, you'd come in and you'd sit down at a keyboard and you'd just mm-hmm. be doing a typing chat with somebody. And then you'd have to guess at the end, were you chatting back and forth with a human being or with a computer program? If, the, <laughs> Like what we do on Discord. Like what would happen on Discord, yeah. Or <laughs> you name it. Um, if the, a panel of testers is below some threshold of accuracy at predicting, oh, yeah, that's a computer. All it ever did was put back, you know, zeros and ones, or all it ever did was repeat what I said, or it just put out a bunch of canned puns. The obviously computer, <laughs> you know. Right. But if a, a sufficient number of the people get it wrong and say, yeah, I'm, I'm convinced, I thought that was a person, then that program will have, quote-unquote, passed the Turing test. So it's about natural language interactions sufficient to indicate that as far as I can tell, there's a human on the other end. So that's what the Chinese room is being asked to do. They're sliding in questions in Chinese, receiving outputs in Chinese, And if they are satisfied that they're having a conversation, then something, you know, that, and then that's where it gets hairy. Like, does that, what does that mean? Does it mean that the thing in there understands? Does it mean it is intelligent? What does it mean? We don't know yet. But does it convince the people that it's at, it's at least doing whatever humans are doing? That it can have a legitimate conversation. Right. Um, yeah. Good. Makes sense. Yeah. That. I mean, the 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 purpose of the whole idea, or whatever it's driving towards, that makes sense. I get it. It's about, you know, like you said, but I'll say it in my own words because I'm special too. Um, but it's about can you can you distinguish between, you know, you know a, a human who understands what they're saying, and a human who doesn't understand what they're saying, provided you have the right program 
to be able to give the kind of responses from within inside the Chinese room. Um, or if you're just having a conversation, you wouldn't be able to tell if John Searle's in there and you throw in some English, he spits out English, you throw in some Chinese, he spits out Chinese and you're like, yeah, pretty good. Right. In this, in the Chinese room case, you can put in both questions mm-hmm. in English, questions in Chinese, and you'll get satisfactory. You'll get sa- exactly. You were convinced you can't tell the difference. You're like, whatever's in there appears to be bilingual. Right. Yeah, totally. Perfect. Yeah, exactly. Okay. So moving on. So what's happening inside the room when that's going on? Yes, this video. Searle is grabbing the file folder that was passed in, extracting the pieces of paper therein, diligently taking them over to the table, sighing, swigging his beer, and getting down to work. He (laughs) painstakingly looks at the first symbol in the upper left quadrant, or wherever Chinese writing would be. It's still left to right, but it's vertical, right? Whatever. Uh, you know, um, as he does in his videos, he just puts up some squibbles, you know. He's like, that's Chinese. <laughs> anyway, we'll get to that yeah. later. He, um, so then he his job is to, and this part is spectacularly implausible, and like... I don't think that any of us think that this could be actualized because of how complex Chinese is. But he supposedly, he just looks at the paper and only because of the shape of the symbol, he's like, oh, I recognize that one. That's in box A74. And he goes over to the Ikea bookshelf and he pulls down one of the file folders and he shuffles around in there until he finds the right one where the rules are, where it says, okay, when you get this shape, equals, you know, and then they go over to English. Oh, then go to this box. Grab right. that box, whatever, and then trace this shape onto your blank paper so that he's got English language words in the room to tell him what to do, but the Chinese on both ends, input and output, it's just a shape. It's just physics. It doesn't, it's formal and nothing more. Um, so he just does that a bunch. He reads all the things, compares them to these other shapes, lets the English rules tell him which shapes to make, and makes the new shapes, passes them out. You get that. So that was the exterior of the Chinese room and the interior. Yep. So then the day ends, and they unlock the room and let him walk out. And they say, John, you passed. And, of course, that <laughs> dismays him. He's like, what do you mean, past what? I didn't do anything. I don't know how Chinese. Uh, no, you, whatever was happening in there, it looks like you passed the Turing test. The Chinese responses were sufficient to indicate to us that there was a Chinese speaker inside that room. And then, you know, the magic move comes. Well, I can prove that this is all false. I was in there, and I damn well know that no understanding of Chinese occurred in that room. I was the only one in there. There was no understanding in me, and there was no understanding happening in the corner. There was no understanding in there. So, I have now proven that understanding is unnecessary to pass a Turing test, among other things. Um, I've proven that manipulation of formal symbols cannot give you understanding. 
Okay. Good old John. Good work. All right, you don't sound like you're digging into this yet. Well, I mean, I have my... my I have my issues, of course. Um, <clears throat> I'm waiting to pull them out at different times because I'm never sure exactly when the, is the best time to... Uh, Talk about it. The Chinese room, I'll just say right away, just because I think it's ready for this point that I, I don't know. It all seems so tortured, like the whole thing. Like, for instance, has anyone ever made the remark of like, gosh, those people who put in the Chinese <clears throat> letters, they're waiting an awful long time for John to get back and, you know, you know, to spit out an answer. I mean... I know that seems kind of uh, trivial, but it is kind of awkward in trying to, you know, you know, when you're trying, when some analogies slip in ni nicely, and I think it has to do with because they're able to, like, you're able to, like, suspend your disbelief about certain aspects of it, because you're like, yeah, yeah, I get it, but this is just, like, I'm totally, like, as you say, like, he's taking a sip of beer, he's sighing, he's sitting there, like, trying to match letters, and he's got his little English rule set, and, you know, like, it just seems to me... um like it's just all very tortured. I don't know how else to describe to describe it. So it's an interesting idea because everybody, I mean, we were looking at the paper, minds, brains, and programs as we were just uh, talking before this. And there's like, yeah, like maybe seven pages of John Searle just given his bit about what's going on. And then there's like 40 some odd pages of responses by people. And it's just like, and they all have something different to say, you know, like, it's yep. just an interesting thing. I mean, it's almost like a psychologist could study like how people respond to certain ideas <laughs> or something. Like it's just all very, it's all very tortured. He did something and that's, it, this is kind of going a little meta because we're not in the idea right now, but clearly he did something with this idea to make everybody respond, whether it was positive or negative or neutral they had some little quip. There's, I, I, I read lots of ideas out there. And I'm like, yeah, whatever. Like, what is it about this one? Is it him? Is it the idea? Anyway, I don't want to get too far off um, any agendas we may be uh, trying to uh, pursue. <laughs> but it's still, it, it, to me, like, I'm not chomping down on it because these things are like snags, you know? And I'm just, you know, there's a lot of slack water now because, like, things are getting slowed up by all these snags and... Uh, it just, it's hard for me to just, you know, like when I asked you about the batches and yep. stuff, it's just like, Jesus Christ, you know, what, why, uh, it just seems like there could be a simpler way to talk about it. Um, but again, I'm glad that I asked you about defining the Turing test. Cause I think that would, that's, we call it the Chinese room, but isn't this just John Searle's version of a Turing test where, ha ha, in the end, you still don't get thinking or whatever understanding and we'll get into that in a bit i'm sure but yeah i'm just i'm not you know and again i'm a total like plebeian when it comes to this idea and its history but just off the cuff from you know what i'm what i'm reading and hearing and seeing and all that kind of stuff it's a little uh it's just very tortured anyway 
That is something about which Searle is asking you to suspend your disbelief. That's part of the, mm-hmm. you know, this is a superhero movie, whatever. Yeah, he can make, he can stand and take the force of a sun over his body and hold open a thing to make an invincible hammer out of stone or what. Yeah, you just have to buy it. That he, this is something that he can do. Right. In a reasonable amount of time. Like, but the, I agree. And so, many of the respondents did point that out as well. Okay. That. Okay, you can say that, but you are not appreciating the complexity of that task. And maybe our intuitions would differ if we took various parts of it more seriously. But from Searle's perspective, he's just requesting that you don't get hung up on that and just accept it. And I assume he would say something like, yeah, whatever, it would take me a long time and I would be sipping beer or whatever, but I'm a bad computer. The computers we have nowadays can do X number of million computations per second or whatever, so what would take me a long time to shuffle over to the box and dig out the piece of paper is a lot quicker for an electronic digital computer. It'd be like, okay, well, the pointer is toward what memory location and what's registered there and yeah it so you're not supposed to get hung up there oh well i did i'm sorry <laughs> and other people did and yeah we'll uh at least dennett and hofstetter both mentioned that in various respects that's just one of those practicalities that us philosophers want you to glide over well my question is does he actually say like no just for the record or is it just he just go into it and um <clears throat> you know what i mean like what does he ever does he ever admit that this is explicitly state would never that it's a ridiculous premise yeah no he doesn't does he i i, I kind of think he does where where i'm I briefly wanna... looking through to see if i highlighted it okay. um that'd be good because then I think that's important to know. You do. Hmm. I I do I, only because I I think it's a, a, it provides a sense of awareness from the person who's putting it out there, because one of the things that um, I understand about John Searle, and we can get into this later. I'm not sure if this is something we get into now, but you know he's <clears throat> he's he's uh, not. Uh, not taking things in and 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 reexamining as much. So at least if there's something at the outset where he's like, you know, I mean, here's an example. What a lot of the times, you know, after Darwin published on the origin of species, people had all these criticisms and left and right, and he would often be standing there saying, "Well, I didn't say that it was the only mechanism for evolution," or you know what I mean, like he. And you go back and you, yeah, there he is. He says, he's like, there could be lots of things. This is one. I think it's pretty powerful, but nonetheless, I'm not saying it's the only one. And it's there in the originals and all that kind of stuff. So it does could someone like Searle be like, hey, I didn't, you know, say that? Or, or does he respond to that and say, you know, on, you know, line 49 of paragraph three or whatever, you know, like, that's what I'm wondering. I don't know if that's. I mean, that's more important to his character than it is important to the idea. So I guess we can move on. But I just think that um, 
at this point, it sounds to me like John Searle and the Chinese Room are married together. You know, they're 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 not going separate ways. They're just they're staying together. Yeah, he's still riding this horse. That's for sure. Right. There's not another person who's like made it their life's work to like argue on his behalf or on the behalf of the idea. It's still him, right? I mean, he's still the one going to Google Talks in 19 or 2015 or whatever, you know, giving the same old spiel. I'm unaware of any uh anyone who's taken up the mantle. I'm sure there right. are many who buy into the argument. Right. But I don't think there is an influential progenitor. Um, but I think we should just stipulate that he's okay admitting that it's implausible. Okay. And that he doesn't think we could actually do this. It's intended just to be a thought experiment. Well, no. Yeah. And he does say the whole Gandanka, Gandankan experiment or whatever. Um, and that's all fine. But even Einstein's Gedanken experiments, although they seemed ridiculous, they were all quite kind of plausible. <laughs> you know, like they all had this like, oh yeah, you're falling in an elevator. Everybody's, no one's going to be like, that's preposterous. But like him having to go and do this kind of stuff, it just hurts our brains, I think, to, to sit there and be like, okay, yeah. So someone gives you something, they wait half an hour while you figure out how to, you know, get the right response back you know what i mean it's like it it trips you up whereas a good gandankan experiment maybe that's all it is just a bad gandankan experiment um it shouldn't you shouldn't get snagged up on anything you know what i mean like it should just move freely from the from the person saying the words or writing them to your brain and you should just quickly not get hung up on anything we're spending obviously too many precious minutes on this little part. I just had to clarify for the record. Part of that can be the listener's fault, I think. I mean, in general, I'm very, I'm not sympathetic to Searle or the Chinese Room Thought Experiment. But, but, <laughs> uh, in this case, I guess I'm on his side. I'm willing to say that it's a, a legal move. To say, well, whatever, Ryan, just pretend you could. Okay. Or what, you know. All right. Do some kind of time dilation, Star Trek shit, and just make <laughs> it so that as make far as the people so. on the outside are Sorry. concerned. <laughs> may, so maybe they put the folder in there, and then the Chinese room is a spaceship, and it shoots off and goes near nice. the speed of light and returns. Uh, it's the opposite. Even more tortured what, than before. However, it works but so whatever. that... Yeah. The, no, no, I'm, I'm with you. I'm with you. Let's The people let's outside on. think that it, the answer came fast enough. But yeah, so what does he think about the... You know, what's the point? What is this Gedanken experiment thing? One, another mini quote from the paper is, One way to test any theory of mind is to ask one's self what it would be like if my mind actually worked on the principles that the theory says all minds work on. Um, with that in mind, let's consider the following Gedanken experiment. So that's, he thinks that that is methodologically acceptable. He thinks that is literally a test of a theory of mind. Mm. ask oneself what it would be like if my mind was like that 
And the way to ask that question, or a way, is to do one of these, as you are stressing, far out, impractical thought experiments. Well, to me, that's yeah. I uh, mean, dubitable. I wouldn't, I wouldn't say it's far out and impractical, because I think Gedanken experiments are fine. Like, I don't have an issue with Gedanken experiments. I don't think they themselves are far out and impractical. But um, is this one of your other points, or w did you want to move on? Because I'm totally fine with just moving on. I just had to state for the record, and if there's an objection and it's sustained or whatever, I'm fine. Mm -hmm. No, yeah, I meant that this is another thing I intended to talk about. Um, like, what is this move? And are, do we want to accept it as a move? Um, that this is a test, a way to test a theory to describe a situation that you cannot actualize and see what your what you think about it what your intuitions are i mean well i know what i think but i mean i uh i want to let you continue yeah tell me what you think well i mean it's one thing to it's it's one thing to say hey you know think about this and this is kind of something i think we should chew on what do you guys all think but to me, it sounds like the result of that test is that it passes the, t you know, like he's, his idea somehow as a test passes the test and then therefore um, is a definitive way in which, you know, or definitive example to use or point to and say, yep, can't do the Turing test with, you know, computers because, you know, they don't understand understanding. It seems to me, anyway, now I could be wrong, so clarify if I am. But when I, as I understand, with, say, something like a Gantanken experiment with Einstein, was it was just a way to visualize the problem. It wasn't the problem. It was just sort of like how he got into the thing and then, you know, explored it through mathematics and put out there that, you know, hey, maybe there's other ways to test, you know, like, okay, well, you know, light bending around the gravitational uh, field uh, of the moon or whatever, you know. Um, and so that's all that seems like it was. This sounds like he's saying, oh, this is the test, the Gedanken experiment. You know, I need not go further. This isn't to, um, you know, uh, poke the monkey and get people talking you know, because I think it needs to go in this direction. It sounds to me like he says, I did the test. This is the test. It, it passed the test and, you know, I'm done. I don't know if I'm wrong about that, but that's what it seemed like. Clarify. It seems like that to me as well. And I <laughs> agree that All right. to the extent I understand what Einstein was doing and the way that he used thought experiments, I agree that they use them differently. That in physics, perhaps, or more often in physics than in philosophy, thought experiments are a part of a process, and they can perhaps be inspirational or crutches in various ways, but you don't stop there. You right. use that to get inspired 
and develop something that then can be tested empirically and otherwise. But for Searle, this is the whole package. Right. This is it. He thinks that this itself refutes strong artificial intelligence. It's enough. And it is enough. This is, is it. This is an argument. And I don't think so. Um, one of the respondents, Ned Block, pointed this out as well. He wrote, um, At best, intuition refe- reveals facts about our concepts. At worst, facts about a motley of factors such as our prejudices, ignorance, and still worse, our lack of imagination. An argument such as Searle's requires a careful examination of the source of the intuition that the argument depends on, an examination that Searle does not begin. I think he's right about that. Hmm. That, you know, this entire argument to me is just, I mean, I think this is the first place it was coined, I don't know, where Dennett made this word intuition pumps. You know, oh, at least really? he uses it here. I think this is the first place, and the motive, and the, that's all this thing is. It's not an argument, or if it's an argument, it's a bad argument. It just a, a way to, you know, like you say, poke the monkey to provoke intuitions. And Searle seems to not even address these questions that Bloch wants him to, all right, well, what, how does intuition work? Where does that come from? Is it just prejudice? Is it just lack of imagination? Or, you know, and Searle doesn't, to my knowledge, talk about that. Definitely not in this paper, and I don't think anywhere. Mm. Yeah, it's a... Yeah, I, I, I guess... I don't know. Is this the, the, um, you know, like the, the superficial difference between, you know, armchair philosophy and, you know, lab rat science, you know, or like what, what, you know, the, the thinking and the doing aspects, you know, it just gets divvied up. And so for the philosopher, the, the canonical, characterization of a philosopher or whatever uh this is all they gotta do you know like is you know is this a fulfillment of those Mm -hmm. dichotomies or something like that and and each are equal in their weight um upon which we build you know our understanding or knowledge or whatever um you know that's kind of what i'm also wondering is 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 there a different um, is there a different principle involved, and that's why for someone like Einstein it doesn't stop there, and for someone like Searle it does. So that's some insight I don't have. I just have the questions about it. I think this is uh, among the worst examples of what this the pejorative use of armchair philosophy. Um, in the 2015 Google talk that we also watched, right, Searle virtually brags about his ignorance regarding computers, programming, and the field of AI. A lot of when things. When this was written, Chinese, 
that he was, was the other one. That, you know, I and obviously Chinese, but that's you know less. I know, but it's just uh, it's a symptom of the, of a problem. Probably, yeah. But that he just, uh, I was invited to give a talk somewhere, so I went to a bookstore and grabbed a book about AI. I didn't know anything about this stuff. Jesus. I mean, that's not good, buddy. <laughs> like, but he, uh, right. you know, it's part of his style, I guess. I, I maybe what he's the rhetorical move that he's making there is your ideas, strong AI proponents, are so easy to refute. That even an ignoramus such as me can destroy them w- with hardly trying. I don't even know anything, and I can break it. Yeah, I seem to recall that in the pacing back and forth in that Google twenty fifth Google Talks twenty fifteen lecture thing that he did. There was that element that was a pretty big element, I thought, of what he was. You know, saying you know what we can do. We can say we can say this now. Well, you know, we'll link it on the website okay. for all these zero people that are hearing this. Yeah, if you want to see it, oh, none we'll of put you put this paper and some videos. We'll, we'll link it on the website. Sure, sure. Um, yeah. So this intuition pump thing from Dennett. He Dennett writes in his response, uh, Searle's arguments I consider sophistry. Um, dot dot dot. Uh, what one might call an intuition pump. A device for provoking a family of intuitions by producing variations on a basic thought experiment. Not typically an engine of discovery, but a persuader or a pedagogical tool. Um, And that's what a lot of people think that this Chinese room argument is. It's better labeled an intuition pump than an argument. Yeah, no, I mean, it's a, um, yeah, I I would not put it as an argument, and we can define what we think an argument is, and if once we did that, I think most people listening, that zero number over there, um, would be like, yeah, that makes sense, because, you know, the way you guys think of an argument and this thing that he's talking about just sounds almost more like a story, you know, Uh, it has that element to it. All right, I wonder what you think of... I'm going to pretend that we've established the argument, and that, or what, you know, the thing that Searle <laughs> made, that we know what he was saying. The first response, and I think the most popular response that he's received since, is what they call the systems reply which runs in brief, well, yes, Earl, the whole, your whole conclusion is a non sequitur because nobody thinks that you inside the room are the sort of thing that would understand Chinese. If anything understands Chinese here in your own story, it's the system as a whole. It's the room. It's you, know, you as the... CPU in the middle, plus the memory in the file cabinets, plus, you know, it's the whole deal. Um, The way Dennett phrases it is, my brain doesn't know English or doesn't speak English. I do. And Uh whatever, you know, then we get into, again, hairy questions about what is a personal identity or what's an I, what is this thing? But whatever it is, it's not just 
some of the neurons and and chemicals in there is the system. Yeah. What do you what do you think of that one? I mean, well, it just sounds. I mean, just uh, kind of riffing off of the Dennett thing. I don't think you have to go all the way to like the whole organism. You know, it's just the, um, you know, the the neural circuit, right? You've got, you know, the brain by itself. <clears throat> it's also relying on all the other components in the ear, and you know, like it's relying on various anatomical features that aren't exactly um, nervous tissue. And so you have a v- not just simply neural networks, but you have a, v- a whole set of apparatus or what's the plural for apparatus is apparati or apparatuses. Um, but you have a whole bunch of stuff that's of course co-evolving and all that kind of stuff. Um we're doddlers we say stuff we say things anyway um and uh (laughs) to me you don't have to go all the way to the whole organism because you know you you just need the the components you know maybe you can go the whole organism certainly you're going to need the oxygen and the blood and all that kind of stuff pumping and moving and the heart's going to be involved so maybe then it is correct but in the the more like focused areas that are activated um you know yeah like it's it's not just the brain it's you know you know the ear bones it's even probably even just to an extent like the little hairs that might be going on in your ear and you know lots of little things that we you know that are diminishing for sure in terms of their influence on the whole uh system and its ability to function and function in a particular way but definitely there's a whole yeah that's the system i i kind of get that from like an organismal or even like a like just neural circuitry kind of perspective it seems to make sense to me what would you say speaks english (laughs) That's, that's a great question that's why we're here. If you don't go the if you don't go the Dennett route and say, I do, or you don't at least say, Well, an organism does, this organism. I mean you could I, I don't know. I, I I'll put it out there though, and all zero members of our audience could uh listen and say, Bullshit. Um but I would wonder if uh you know, like it would just be the neural circuitry apparatus between, you know, certain parts of the brain, like, I don't know, uh, the, the speech production components of the, you know, the, the, the neuroanatomical areas of the brain that do that, whichever ones are doing that. And then, you know, just sort of the vocal apparatus, you know, the tongue and the lips and all that, and all that's just sort of, you know, activated it's probably interacting with you know this the the speech comprehension or the reading comprehension or whatever that parts of the brain act and so they're probably hooked up to the ears or to the eyes or something like that um i don't know if you need your toes but you definitely might need some of those things and so maybe that whole thing that system is what's like speaking english 
uh, I don't know. What do you think? I don't know why toes would even come up. Well, I'm just trying to say, like, the whole, like, I am speaking English. You know what I mean? Like, it's, uh, you know, I am thinking, like, the whole Because I don't think it... (laughs) You know what I mean? Like, so I'm just saying, like, a portion of the organism is doing something, and another portion of the organism is doing something else, and that's what we call organs and circuits and stuff like that. Right? I can't like the say liver is not nothing the, because the, that, yeah well the whole the liver's not pumping blood or something like that you know what I mean it's not the pump for blood through the circulatory system so when you say well what's doing the pumping of the blood or whatever I can be like the heart you know or something mm-hmm. not I am pumping the blood that's my interpretation of the question and the answer that I guess I'm trying to analogize yeah. I mean, I agree. This is a good question. <laughs> I don't have a clear and obvious and quick answer. But I do. St- I like the systems reply. Yeah, and I think it's a system. I'm um, not saying it's not a system. I like it too. Yeah. That the, f- um, and I don't know computers well enough to <laughs> debate the fine points about well. Is Searle playing the role of a CPU or what it precisely is he mm-hmm. analogous to? But homunculus. Whatever like. it is, that little homunculus is not the thing that would even be understanding English anyway. You're yeah, you're shuffling the symbols so you don't understand. No none of us thought you would. Right. The the strong AI proponents are saying the room, the system, the whole thing passed the Turing test. So I don't really care when you walk out what you say. It is kind of irrelevant to me. Yeah. I, I <laughs> yeah. Right. I mean, well, that's maybe an inherent flaw in the whole um I keep wanting to say story, but I'm sure there's a better word for it. The Chinese room. Idea. It works for me. But the whole thing about the idea slash story, maybe a, an inherent flaw is that there's a homunculus in it. You know, like there's a little man running around <laughs> trying to do stuff, but this one doesn't understand anything. You know, like he just, I mean, the, what the, the homunculus understands is, you know, inputs and outputs and what they're supposed to do based on what they get, you know, or whatever. Um, yeah. All right. So we move from there to, I mean, since this one's so popular and it was there early, Searle knew all about it even before he wrote this paper because he'd been touring around, blabbing right. the touring around. <laughs> Sorry. Turing. <laughs> nice. My response to the systems theory, writes Searle, is quite simple. Um. Yeah, everything that you say is simple. You think that's a virtue. Let the individual internalize all of the elements of the system. All the same, he understands nothing, and a fortiori, neither does the system. So, he thinks that what many of the rest of us think is a very persuasive, powerful defeater is has not, it, nothing at all, whatever, take the whole room and put it in the guy's head. 
And then for the for Ryan, who was bothered in the first place about the implausibility of the story, <laughs> how do you like me now? Yeah, totally. Jesus. So now he just memorizes all those file boxes and somehow they're still mere syntactical formalisms in his brain. But he, you know, now you're supposed to suspend disbelief again and pretend that he can do that. And that now when verbally asked questions in Chinese and he, in real time, verbally responds in Chinese, that we're still supposed to buy... Well, yeah, I was just using some kind of subsystem of my brain and that still doesn't know Chinese. So, and this isn't where Dennett's response was going. You know, he said things like, okay, let's twist the knobs of this intuition pump, John. Uh, so how, just how robust are your responses to Chinese situations? Uh-huh. You know, say... You're working in the bank and the robber comes in and says in Chinese, this is a stick up. And you immediately stop what you're doing and raise your hands and look scared. Um, But then when (laughs) someone in English asks you, do you know Chinese? You still insist, no, I don't. While you still stand there in terror and let them rummage through your cash drawer. Uh, What kind of schizophrenic are we supposed to allow? I mean, I don't know. I think that's, that one is impactful to me. Say that you've got Searle standing there, the one who has internalized the Chinese room. And an English speaker asks him, do you speak English? And he's like, yep, natively. And then the English speaker asks him, do you speak Chinese? And he's like, hell no, I don't know a word (laughs) of Chinese. But then a Chinese speaker asks him, do you speak Chinese? And in Chinese, the very same dude standing there (laughs) says in Chinese, of course I do. Can't you hear what I'm saying right now? And we're supposed to prefer, like, my intuitions, and this is part of the danger, I think, of playing the intuition game and pretending it's an argument. My intuitions apparently differ from Searle's. If I were presented with that empirical case of a human being doing that, I would think that they were mentally ill. Searle would think, (laughs) of course I'm not mentally ill, I'm just telling you I don't speak Chinese, and it's a plain fact. Um, Okay, as I strap him into the straitjacket and take him away. I mean, like, what do you think about that kind of thing? Well, I thought it'd be better if in Chinese he was like, of course I don't speak Chinese, you idiot, you know, or something like that. Like... Uh, um. Well, I mean, if that's what the program indicated he should say, so sure, then you write the Ryan program, and then that's what he says. He says in Chinese, I don't speak Chinese. Those are just different programs. Yeah. I, I, you know, this is one of those ones where I would just agree because, uh, you know, I'm already having an issue with the absurdity as you mentioned and now let's stick the whole room in my head and uh you know he can respond in english and in chinese but in english say he doesn't understand chinese but in chinese say he does that's just that's just a contradiction so i i don't know 
It's a plain fact. We're saying that, and we're saying it in italics because he writes and talks about plain facts often. Which is an, an area we are, I'm hoping, eventually heading towards. Uh, you know, because I don't want to... I don't want to miss out on that good stuff. Because that, that's one of the few things that stood out to me, because being somebody who doesn't read this stuff very very often, um, because I guess I'm not into the philosophy of mind, computer science stuff, AI. I'm not saying I don't enjoy learning about it. I just, it's not something I'm, you know, leaning heavily towards on a regular basis. So when I was reading... Some of his, you know, you know, the, even the earlier passages in the section that's just him writing about the Chinese room, um, I did, I did notice there were some things that that stuck out to me besides just you know the batches. So I hope we eventually get to those, and I think they're along the same lines as the whole plain fact kind of thing. If you got somewhere you want to go, let's do it right away before you forget. What is under? I'm not going to under. I'm not going to forget, but I can go into it if you want. I guess. Yeah. What is understanding? Like he's got two things that he thinks are <laughs> obvious. What is understanding? It would be my one, and then what is an explanation? Because he puts those over well, repeatedly anyway, in italics, so they're important. Um, and those are things that I. You know, I would think because you put them in italics, I mean, I get that they're for rhetorical emphasis, but I also kind of, I guess maybe just hope or wish that they're provided a little more um, substance than just simply italicies. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. So, yeah, let's talk about this. Okay. Um. I had the same problem, or a similar problem, or an expansion of the same problem. I even had a running list of key terms that I felt stood in need of definition. And only one of them was, by the end, I satisfied, and even then only partially. I had on my list internal causal powers, if you remember him talking about those, Mm. understanding, like you pointed out, meaning, semantics, thinking, and intentionality. Intentionality is the one that did get a clear attempt at a definition. I'm still, even with that definition, I still don't really know what it means, but at least he played the game right on that one. Like, he did attempt to define it. But all those other ones, I couldn't find them. So, first off, my exposure to philosophers is primarily philosophers of science. And I don't know if this falls into philosophy of science or not. I don't know if there are different customs and different branches of philosophy. I just don't know. But I would say that most of my exposure to the work of philosophers of science is that they will give an attempt to, you know, anything that's an important word one way or the other, they will give an attempt to define it. You know, like if you go and you're reading through and you're like, God, did they define it somewhere? And you go and look, you'll find it. You know, it's it's not maybe a, uh, um, you know, hard definition in the way that one might think of with like a, you know, Oxford Dictionary type definition. But 
there's something said that you can glean and say, yeah, these words strung together, I would call as much of anything a definition of this important word that they're using. And that, to me, seems really natural. Like, if something's important, you know, you define it, you know. Again, this is going to be an absurd point to make, but it'd be imagined if, like, Darwin was, like, talking about natural selection. Everyone was like, what do you mean by this thing called that? He's like, I'm not going to define it. You know, like, it just seems to me like, wait, you know, like, what what is this thing that's so damn important? And to me, I guess I just naturally think that when you, you know, I mean, just looking at, I mean, really does understand Chinese as in italics understands how is in italics like i'm just looking and i see it you know and so it's it seems like an important component of this whole thing this whole idea of the chinese room and so you know and i see we often attribute quote-unquote understanding and other cognitive predicates by metaphor and analogy to cars adding machines like what is understanding in quotes. Like he says it multiple times in the same <laughs> um, passage. And that I'm not saying he's a stupid moron, blah, blah, blah. I'm just saying, help me understand what you're thinking, like about what is understanding. And if it is just textbook definitions, then we can talk about that. But that's another issue, like the one where I got hung up on the kind of absurdity of him getting some message in a box it's like he doesn't know how to do Gedanken experiments and he's not doing definitions. And I guess it's a, it's sort of frustrating as somebody just reading this stuff. I don't want this to be like the take down a John Searle, but it is kind of, um, it, it's just frustrating because there's like we said in the beginning, there's like 40 pages of responses to this one idea. So that's another issue entirely, but, well, sometimes a takedown is what is warranted, you know. Um, but in general, would you not say, I would, that definitions are important to what we call philosophy, right? That, or if you, say you talk to a philosopher at the party or something, what is one of the annoying traits that they tend to exhibit? Well, that all depends on what you mean by... X, you know, they say that all the time, or they're like, well, what, what, what do you really mean by the meaning of life? Or, you know, the philosophers are always asking for definitions. Mm -hmm. So it's all the more lamentable that this particular eminent philosopher doesn't appear very interested in them. And I think you're totally right to pick up on understanding as one of them. Some, uh, another quote that I think summarizes the thesis statement of the paper is, Whatever purely formal principles you put into the computer, they will not be sufficient for understanding, since a human will be able to follow the formal principles without understanding anything. That's the point of the paper. Understanding occurs in it twice. <laughs> understanding is never defined in the paper. Here is a paragraph where he talks about understanding, and it's almost an anti-definition. <laughs> but first, I want to block some common misunderstandings about, quote, understanding. In many of these discussions, one finds a lot of fancy footwork about the word understanding. 
my critics point out that there are many different degrees of understanding, that understanding is not a simple two-place predicate, that there are different kinds and levels of understanding, and that often the law of the excluded middle doesn't even apply in a straightforward way to statements of the form X understands Y. Dot, dot, dot. To all of these points, I want to say, of course, of course. But they have nothing to do with the points at issue. There are clear cases in which understanding literally applies and clear cases in which it does not apply. And those two sort of cases are all I need for the argument. I think that pretty clearly states, you know, Searle's attitude toward the notion of understanding, his critics, and the, the institution of defining terms. He admits, many people have pointed out to me that understanding is complicated. And then he says, of course, of course, I agree with all of that. Understanding is super complicated. And then he totally hand waves right in their faces and says, but all of that is literally irrelevant because there are just, you know, he doesn't say plain facts here, but he says clear cases. Same mm -hmm. thing. There's plain facts, clear cases where understanding applies and where it doesn't. That's all I need. <clears throat> I try to bite my tongue from adding, fuck you, because that's what I hear <laughs> when he says that. Like, you want to question me about that? Fuck you. I'm giving you nothing. Uh -huh. And like, that's you can't do that. He's trying to say that somehow there's a there's a gradient up to a cliff's edge, and then after that cliff's edge, he's that's where the real contrast lies in the clear case of I understand this to varying degrees, and then I simply do not understand the other thing or whatever. And he still doesn't define what understanding is and so i don't know what he means like he under, he he gives it's like a lot of stuff by example like he says following that he talks about he's like i understand stories in english to a lesser degree i can understand stories in french to a still lesser degree stories in german and in chinese not at all that that, that cursed chinese um and to me like he's clearly saying like somehow by the time, you know, German is closest to the edge and then Chinese is off the cliff or whatever. And I'm still like, what is this a gradient of? Is it just like, you know, it could, it feels like it could be anything, you know, understand what, you know, like what, how is it that you're understanding? I guess it's my, and I don't know. I mean, maybe it's just that the, this paper is just a common write-up. And maybe there are other places where he's like, understand means. But it, it would seem to me like relevant to any time you're writing this that you put in what you mean by that. Because it's, it seems really, really, really important. Right. If he had an account of understanding, he would either at least reference it, say, if you're interested to hear my complex account of what it means to understand please mm -hmm. see this paper and he'd probably quote from it or have a definite he's just not interested and doesn't feel he needs to so if we're this this is where we can take a risk right a technological risk and see if oh, we can pull off okay 
um, bringing right. Searle into the podcast. See if it works. Because uh, during the question period of one of these lectures, someone asked what I thought was a good question, and I might also ask this question of Searle, and uh, it being, you know, well, do you understand English? Like, can you prove to me that you understand English? And his response, or lack thereof, I find telling. Could you prove to me that you understand English? Yeah, I wouldn't bother. Um, uh, uh, when I was in Oxford, many people doubted that I did. <laughs> I, I happened to be in a rather snobbish college called Christchurch. Uh, and, and of course, I don't speak English. I, I never I pretended to. I speak a dialect of American, which makes uh, many English people shudder at the thought. <laughs> so you said you you understand English, but how do I know you're not just a computer program? Yeah. Well, it's, I, it's the same question as raised, uh, and the answer is all sorts of ways. Uh, you know, if, if it got to a crunch, you might ask me. Uh, now, I might give a dishonest answer, or I might give an honest answer, but there's one route that you don't want to go, and that's the epistemic route. Uh, the epistemic route says, well, you have as much evidence that, that the computer is conscious as that we have that you are conscious. No, not really. I mean, I, I could go into some detail about uh, what it is about uh, people's physical structure that makes it capable, makes them capable of producing consciousness. You don't have to have a fancy theory. Uh, I don't have, need a fancy theory of neurobiology to say those are your eyes, you spoke through your mouth. Uh, the um, uh, the, uh, the uh, question was an expression of a conscious intention to ask a question. Believe me, if you are a locally produced machine, Google is further along than I thought. Uh, uh, but clearly, you're not. Attempt to answer number one was to joke it away. I don't really speak English. I speak American. Ha, ha, ha. Uh, all of his jokes are also very repetitive. He uses the same ones at every lecture that you look at, which, again, might tell you something. Anyway, so you know, first he just totally ignores it, brushes it aside. The person insists a little bit more. And the second answer is, um, well, you know, I can prove it in all sorts of ways. One of the ways is that you could ask me. Um, how many times have you done this, John, by now? That's the whole thing. Like, we just went, Ryan and I just went through that, and I'm sure everyone else has gone through it. That is insufficient. We can ask in Chinese if the guy who has memorized the Chinese room inside of his head, we ask him in Chinese if he speaks Chinese, and he says yes in Chinese. So obviously that's insufficient, and I think he even realizes it. He says that at first, then he's like, oh crap, well that's not going to work, I guess I'll say some more. And again, <laughs> literally waving his hands as he figuratively hand waves over, well, there's all kinds of complex neurology and bio and whatever, but I don't have to prove it, and I don't know how to prove it. And then he just again begs the question and restates the thesis. Uh, by asking me that question, you have already intended to speak English, and you know that I'm speaking English, and you wouldn't ask me if you didn't know I would, you know. And he just restates it. So... Um, <coughs> 
Yeah, you don't want it to be a beat up on Searle session. I'm attempting to look. We're looking around like, come on, what do you mm. got for us? And to me, that attempt at an answer of this direct question was an F. <laughs> Jeez. <laughs> Not even a D plus. Um, yeah, it's a... Uh... Uh, I don't know. I mean, yeah, it's a it's an interesting thing because you know then you start embarking into like motivational territory, and once you start getting into the motivations of human beings, I, as you have noted before, get a little charitable, and so I, uh, I just I you know I'm, I I start to go oh Christ you know he's, I mean, either he's. In this instance, just simply not answering the question, which, you know, I mean, I have done my, I won't say fair share, but I have done presentations, been asked hard questions, had to answer them, hoping that I was answering them right or well, but also hoping not to be bullshitting or whatever. But I don't really know. There's no recordings of it, of course, that I know of. And, um... You know, I either he's been at this for so long, and that's just evidence that he's like got a really big ego, or it's you know evidence that uh, you know he's just responding out of you know some kind of panic or fear, and that heart that that's that to me. I don't I don't want to I don't want to like. I don't want to like, you know, poke at that wound. You know what I mean? I, I even though zero people are going to ever hear this, but still it's nonetheless one of those things. And I don't know. I just, I, 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 if that is the case, then I just feel sorry. And I don't like to pity people because I know people don't like to be pitied. And, uh, well, that's, you know, I'll take that back. Some people I think love to be pitied, but, um, I'm guessing just in general, he might not. So it, it's a it's a hard one, you know. It's like, what you know, what do you do now that this person is kind of just, you know, it's just, I don't know. Like, did he run this by enough close friends first, you know, and they were like, wait a minute, or did he just go right out into the world and, you know, it was you know, some philosopher up against some computer scientists. And so there was just enough disconnect that he was just like, eh, I don't know, you know, but then his philosopher uh, colleagues were like, what? You know, <laughs> and then, yeah, you, you know, 30 years later you're at Google and some, you know, 20 something's just like speak English. And you're like, well, and then you joke it up. It's just all very sad. <laughs> I don't know how else to put it. So, I don't know. <laughs> I don't, you know, it's like the less I want to say, the more I say. It's just a ridiculous uh, pattern to be in. Well, that makes us perhaps a good pair that we have a different emotional response to these sort of things. If you get sad and pitiful, because I just get angry. <laughs> you bastard. I really don't like it when, when people, uh, you know, make and remake bad arguments with extreme confidence and are successful doing so that well i mean so me. long as yeah 
Because, you know, he's been... Like, we're looking at this talk. Searle's talks at Google, and there's all kinds of other ones on YouTube, whatever. To this day, he is reiterating this paper virtually verbatim. I see no evidence that he has altered either his rhetorical strategy or the content. So you're saying, you know, did he run it by anyone? Well, I think by now he has. Um, and that is interesting and curious to me. Maybe it's only a psychological question about one individual and therefore not very interesting, but how can you, how can anyone put forth an idea, argument, be rebuffed by most of your colleagues, you know, and this, you know, in the very first publication, it was accompanied by 40-some responses, where everyone from people like Ned Block and Jerry Fodor to people like Dan Dennett and Doug Hofstadter to people like Minsky and Hoagland, yeah. ev from every <clears throat> end of the spectrum, all disagree with you, many in varying ways. And then subsequently in the 35 years, it would become uncountable how many times people have refuted the Chinese room. To have changed nothing. <laughs> how? What? How? Who are you? Well, then, I mean, is this, <laughs> is this podcast about the Chinese room or is it about John Searle? And to what extent... Um, because, I mean, if the Chinese room, for instance, is just uh, John Searle's take on, you know, problems associated with the Turing test and uh, computer science 1978 to 1980 or whatever time period he was thinking about these things initially. You know, what is it about? Is it about the idea or is it about this guy and his... Psychology. Um, to me, if it's about the guy in the psychology, that's, I, I don't know, how much time do you want to spend on that? I mean, are we biographers here? You know, like, and if it's about the idea, if it's been refuted <laughs> even way back then, why are we still talking about it? Is it just simply because he keeps going out there or he has enough friends or... There aren't a lot of ideas one way or the other about strong AI or something like that that are out there that, you know, the public can or roughly, quote unquote, the public can kind of digest or consider or think about. Like, is it a dearth of ideas? You know, um, is dearth the right word? Um, is it a lack of ideas in that particular area or you know, what? what is going on? Why is this a phenomenon? Uh, okay, there's another good question. And I would like to talk about it in at least two different respects. One, why are we, literally, you and I, on Toddler's Damn Philosophy right. Podcast, talking about it? And the question, why is it, the Chinese Room, paper and argument, talked about as often as it is. It's still taught in most, as I understand it, philosophy of mind courses, the ones that I've been in included. 
And, you know, he still gets invited to Google. And, you know, so this is an idea that many people talk about a lot of the time. Why do they and why do we? So I think we should start with why do, why is everybody else? Because when we get to us, then we'll move on to our next topic. I have an irresponsible theory about why it might be so (laughs) popular. That I don't have any support for. It's just a story. You like stories, though. There are a lot of hours that a professor slash teaching assistant, whoever they are, whatever their title is, needs to fill. They're like, I've got all these gaping codfish sitting in these chairs that paid the big bucks to come here, and I need to put something in. But I've also got stuff to do, and my kid is Mm. annoying, and my dog has to go out, and there's a barbecue next weekend Mm -hmm. that I'd rather be at, and I need my lesson plan completed. What is something that is already eminent and is easy? Like, I can understand it. In fact, I can even refute it. So, all right, I'll just grab the Searle. That's a canonical piece. And, you know, we can talk about that, and then I can make myself look really smart to all of the um, co-eds of my preferred orientation. Uh, like, oh, yeah, this look at this guy tearing up a big famous philosopher. Well, it's easy to refute. It's easy to explain. And because of various institutional contextual factors, it gets bonus points. So just quickly, uh, John Searle is the whipping boy of adjunct professors everywhere. Is that something Google has provided you? (laughs) I came up with that one. Oh, that was your own coinage. Oh, nice. (laughs) Yes. That could be the title of some clickbait right there. Yeah, I mean, I was just summarizing your point. So that's just a story. I have no idea how often that plays into it, but I'm guessing it affects, okay. to some extent, the so that's popularity. That's one hypothesis. Do you have any you'd, you'd like to say about that, or should we just talk about, like, make an excuse for why we're adding to this problem? Um, well, I kind of alluded to it, I guess, in my questiony uh, stream of consciousness shit. Um. And, you know, it was just that, you know, for whatever reason, this is as, you know, as, you know, uh, said to be delivered or whatever, it's simple, you know, Um, and it's something that, you know, somehow, because of its simplicity, is able to remain entrained uh, in in people's, you know, thoughts or whatever. And so amateurs and professionals alike can discuss this idea. Um, Are there any, you know, like any other, I mean, obviously there's the Turing test, there's that. And this is a kind of redressed version of that in some way. Um, The Chinese room, that is. But then what else is there? You know, what are the other ideas? Am I missing something? I mean, would you just be able to just like off the cuff throw out a whole bunch of ideas related to artificial intelligence um, and computer science that are just as famous or just as 
easily, um, you know, pulled out of the pocket and, and examined, you know, uh, by, you know, pseudo intellectuals everywhere, you know, like what, what is it, you know, and I, I kind of wonder if it's just this, this idea of simplicity, um, and, you know, to some degree, the aesthetics of it, I think, um, you know, uh, he wasn't talking about the Swahili room, you know, he was talking about the Chinese room. And for some reason, Chinese is in American, uh, you know, the American, uh, the, you know, the, I don't know what to say, the American, you know, zeitgeist or something like that, uh, we we tend to have that sort of as a big part of our you know pop culture or whatever you know um and so it just seems like it 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 jumps to the forefront more i don't know i mean I, that's what i was thinking was part of it yeah co- coincidentally um another one of the like you're asking what other analogous similar examples are there um, another one is, and uh, to what extent it's coincidence, is Ned Block's what they call the Chinese Nation thought experiment. That. And that one's about like, well, what if you took everybody in China and hooked them up on a big, long, a big phone bank and made them execute, and then you hook up a brain to a fancy fMRI or whatever, accesses what the neurons did and then you have everybody in china execute that same program like everybody every time a neuron fires this person calls this person or whatever and gives them a message and could you make the entire nation of china a consciousness if they replicated what a brain did anyway that's just part of your zeitgeist is it because like to me like i i've never heard of that idea i suppose all zero you know listeners have heard of it perhaps but i mean maybe it's just a philosopher's things but i kind of think that that chinese room idea spills over into other domains of human endeavor and interest i've never heard of the chinese nation maybe i should have you know what i'm saying like so is it that there's like yeah there's ideas out there the chinese nation's one of them but it's like nobody beyond Oh, I think there's no no dearth. Not that there's a surfeit either. But there's um there are other ideas and plenty of them. But I think that it's simplicity the is the big part, is a big part of this and probably not that you not that you want to talk about the person, but he's got a he's got a thing. And it's going to have some appeal. There's some charisma there. There's some confidence, uh, character, confi- tons of confidence, attempts at comedy, um, personality. So I, having a charismatic champion, I bet, is part of okay. it. Yeah, I think that's probably always going to be a big part of um, promotion with an idea. Uh, one of the things I always heard of, and, you know, again, I didn't have. A lot of science, I mean, science, a lot of philosophy in my education, you know. But I always heard about this one, you know. And I always heard that there was a period of time where, you know, people would be throwing, you know, their you know, their issues with his idea, this Chinese room idea at him. And he would just be like sitting back with his arms crossed, smiling, 
you know, at the people who are like, you're wrong and here's why. And he'd just be like, nah, I'm right. You know, that was the, that was the com- a complaint of the scenario. <laughs> I don't remember where I read or heard that, but it's out there somewhere, I'm sure. Um, and it, I don't know if it was a conference or something like that where everybody's just like, dude, you know, um, and to me, that's kind of, you know, how did I come, how did I come to hear that? You know what I'm saying? Like some of these people have, you know, maybe it is just, it's a simple idea and the person, individual, the individual has enough, whatever it is, it doesn't have to just be charisma. It could be like raw incredible amounts of stubbornness you know or is it incredible amounts of raw stubbornness one of those um but yeah and that kind of thing i mean because the stubbornness would either be there because he just keeps like getting asked the same questions and as you were accounting still keeps responding in the same way this is one of those weird ones because it is kind of like well you know, I like I don't mind the that ideas are associated with particular individuals. Um that's okay, even though not always are the ideas themselves the individuals own, you know, ideas that they themselves came up with or whatever. But this is a weird one because no one likes this person's idea and yet maybe based on who they are, the idea you know persists. It's odd. It's not if 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 it is truly something worth forgetting or whatever, or not worth forgetting, but just like worth not adopting. You know, if it's a lesson in and of itself of like, hey, you know, this is one way we went about it, and we were we don't agree with it anymore or something. Um, it's it's just an odd way to go have it persist. You know, almost in the positive, people call it the Chinese room. They don't call it like the Chinese room fallacy, <laughs> you know, like the, it's still the Chinese room. You know what I mean? Like, uh, and, and oddly enough, if, if Janet came up oh, with intuition pumps a as a response to this, then it have obviously is having some positive impacts. Like it's definitely, it's a weird, it's just all a very weird thing. And it probably requires what I'm the, the, the gaps that I have on this matter are clearly where I'm just sort of flabbergasted as to like how this just keeps going. <clears throat> because obviously I have another explanation for you. Excellent. You want another one? I sure do. Its conclusion accords with common sense slash what many people want to believe. Humans are special. Yeah, computers sure. will never be able to do something like it. Protectionism and uh, exceptionalism, right. and you know, and yeah. since that position is poorly argued, maybe this is one of the best arguments in its favor. It still sucks. But if it's what people already want to believe, and this is as good as the arguments get, then that would be a reason for this one to be around. Uh, yeah, no, I, 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 that's perfectly interesting to me as far as a, an explanation or a speculation or whatever we want to call it. Um, 
So did you want to move on then? I think you said earlier to what we think it is <laughs> or yeah, that, what the, that was. So somehow, why the hell are we talking about this? If, if I, or we think it's better labeled the Chinese room fallacy or something like it. So I think it's just a total, it's a shit argument. It's awful. That's, uh-huh. uh, you know, that's my opinion about it as of now. So why would I make you read the paper and propose it as a topic for the burgeoning podcast. Mm. I think that it gets at a lot of questions that I do think are good questions, even and exhibits a lot of what I think are fallacious or otherwise suboptimal argumentation strategies and rhetorical strategies, including a lot of things that we've touched on already, but um, what ought be the function of intuition in philosophy or in argument, for example. Um, To what extent should we emphasize and request, if not require, definitions? And what is it to define something? To point out, like, well, you know, if you don't define things, you end up with a mess like Minds, Brains, and Programs. What is an argument? This thing claims to be an argument. We think it's a bad argument, or I think it's a bad argument. So what would that mean? What would make a good argument? In what ways does this fail, and what would be preferable? I think one of the most common but underappreciated fallacies, this one they often call a fallacy, is begging the question. And I think that Searle is a question beggar extraordinaire. And that we can look at any page, if not any paragraph, in Minds, Brains, and Programs and find question begs. By which I mean um, assuming what you want to prove. Um, Stating as a plain fact something that the person you're arguing against doesn't accept, using as axiomatic that which is at issue. That's what I mean by question begging, and I think that Searle does it really well. Um, So that's why, those are some of the reasons that I think this paper and argument is still worth talking about, even though I think in its own terms, and for what it attempts to achieve... It is a complete failure and ought be, you know, condemned to the flames as Hume might request. <laughs> right. Right. Um, it's funny. Like, what would you say is your main motivation? Is it just the the philosophy? Is it just the the let's just say in quotes bad philosophy, or is it the idea itself? Is it both? What is it about the idea that's so offensive? And I guess, I mean, I understand the bad philosophy and why that would be offensive. But, you know, ultimately, if you're going to put it to the flames, is it the whole dang thing, as I just described, bad philosophy and the idea itself? Um, you know, yeah, I guess that's what my question would be to you. I would have to work hard 
to think of the pros, of the benefits, of what I would want to save, what I think is salvageable or useful in here, if not as a comedy of errors, as a, you know, I'm going to show you what not to do. Um, and that might, I might be able to succeed if I worked hard enough. But yeah, no, the the whole thing. It's just really bad philosophy. But this is the version of bad philosophy to select because of its mimetic success. Right. It's this particular paper and argument and individual appear to be very successful in my culture, in what I've been exposed to. This shows up everywhere. And on that ratio, it scores highly. Success to crappiness ratio, it's very high. So that's why it goes in the museum. Uh-huh. But, you know, that's just part of it. That's not the whole thing. But that's sort of the um, insult to injury, I guess, in some ways. Or, yeah, what is it? Is it the whole damn thing? Now it's this the idea that it's popular. So it's the idea itself, it's the bad philosophy, and it's popular. Is that also, I mean, basically what you're saying? I'm trying to figure out what the idea itself even is. Mm. Bec- like, what do you think there is an idea here? Or is it just... Um, Bad storytelling. I mean, like you were saying, it's a story. A guy's telling a story. I think his methodology is mistaken in the first place, and then he does a bad job of executing it. But examining one's intuitions through non-actualizable, far-out hypotheticals is, if anything, an exercise in anthropology. It's not philosophy well i I guess i was thinking that the idea is that the turing test is irrelevant because the computer program or what have you will never understand what it's doing i think that's his idea is that the chinese room the idea of the chinese room is that the turing test is an irrelevant test because the the, the, no computer will ever understand in the way that brains understand the hardware or whatever uh, what it's doing, what it's saying, what its interactions are. I th- think that's how I think I would summarize John Searle's position with the Chinese room. I'm, I mean, uh, he's still thinking, what? Mm-hmm. Well, to that I reiterate my interpretation of what I take to be Turing's motivation in putting the Turing test forth in the first place. He's got all of these people, like he's got these John Searle-esque people around, who are saying, computers can't X and will never X. And Searle's version is understanding. And Turing is saying, okay, what the hell's understanding? And as we've already established, we don't fucking know. We, like, I don't know what understanding is, and Searle doesn't tell us. He says he doesn't have to tell us. So Turing says, well, that's kind of frustrating. 
you're bashing my enterprise because it fails on a score that you won't tell me what success would mean. So how about I give you something else, a test that I can pass? Um, So I feel like if that's where, if what you were saying is what Searle would say, and he's just misunderstanding the Turing test. Not, it's not irrelevant. That's what makes it relevant. The move you're making is what makes the Turing test relevant. Yeah, but I, I think that Searle's recommendation to these artificial intelligence researchers would be stop doing it. Stop trying to do oh, make it um, understand. You know, it'll never understand. What was the primary motivation that John Searle had for the the idea in the in you know in the first place? All I can guess to answer that question is to maintain human specialness. He wouldn't be asking anyone to stop their researches. And so let me briefly re- read you this part that you probably also read, but you know. So he goes through a series of rhetorical questions and says, Could a machine think? The answer is obviously yes. We are precisely such machines. So he's a materialist. Right, right. You know, he doesn't want to claim we have souls. or you know, He thinks we already are machines. Yes, but could an artifact, a man-made machine, think? Obviously yes, says Searle. If you can exactly duplicate the causes, you duplicate the effects. And then, the, you know, well, could a digital computer think? Yes. We are the instantiations of any number of computer programs, and we can think. Uh, But could something think, understand, and so on, solely in virtue of being a computer with the right sort of program? Searle says, I think this is the right question to ask, and the answer is no, blah, blah, blah. So what he thinks is that artificial intelligence research is great, but that what we should conceive of it as is simulation, not duplication. Right. Uh, He talks a lot about, you know, yeah, you make a hurricane in the computer and nobody thinks you're going to get wet. But that doesn't mean he would ask the meteorologists to stop doing computer-based climate modeling. So he's totally, I think he'd be fine with all of that. He's like, he just is saying, don't overstep your bounds and claim you can do something you can't do. And then, which isn't that what they were attempting to do, though? Oh, sorry. That we should spend more time attempting to duplicate these "quote unquote" causal powers. Like we should do more. um, I don't know if he would literally want us to change the hardware and do like neural net type stuff, but not only simulated in the software, but literally like make them. I don't know exactly what he would want, but he would emphasize. Something more along the lines of duplicating the causes. Um, all right, so you were saying what? Well, I, I aren't I, they doing that? Well, I mean, I just thought that that wasn't that the the what he was responding to was that people were saying, you know, we're attempting to essentially duplicate, you know, understanding or something along those lines. Strong AI was, you know. Um, he says, uh, you know, uh, that, you know, appropriately programmed computer literally has cognitive states and that the programs thereby explain human cognition. 
And so, you know, with respect to what these people are doing, he would say, I recommend, you know, you not pursue that, but pursue, you know, you know, uh, it in a different light or maybe pursue weak AI. Cause I think that's great, you know, or whatever. Like, I, I just thought that that, you know, from my, I haven't studied it nearly as much, but I just thought that's kind of what he would, if he had to recommend anything, that would be one of the things is, you will you're never, you're never going to do it the way you're doing it or something along those lines. But I could, I don't know. If what he were saying was, don't try to make your computers understand, that's also something that I would say, but for very different reasons, I think. Because Searle is saying, don't try to make your computers understand, they never will. And I would say, don't try to make your computers understand, because that's a meaningless request. Yeah, those are very different things. <laughs> yeah. But we would both say, don't work on computer understanding. Um, and then the second part of what you said, ha I had a response to that also that eludes me now. It, it eludes me too. But un uh, interestingly enough, it's in the actual recording. So somehow we el it eludes us, but all anyone has to do is rewind. All zero members of the podcast audience. I uh, it was going to have to do something with but go ahead and work on programming computers that can do anything we can do. We don't understand either again from my perspective understanding is meaningless or and or if you give it a meaning it's probably something that I don't think we can do either. So go ahead and work on your AI attempting to make it do whatever it is that humans can do. And I am not convinced by the Chinese room or anything else I've yet encountered that formal symbol manipulation is limited from doing anything that human beings can do. In fact, I think there's a level of description on which that is what we're already doing. Okay. If what human, interesting human behavior is caused by brains, primarily nervous systems, are those not mere uh, formal symbol manipulation systems? If my input electrochemical uh, state is such that it exceeds my threshold, then I squirt these other chemicals out my other end. It's just, that's all formal. Um, and you mean by symbols what? Um, I don't know if I want to say, I think I said symbols at the beginning and then formal at the end. The point that I want to emphasize is that it's all formal. It's all, there's no, there's none of these undefined terms necessary. Semantics, intentionality, meaning, none of that is involved. It's just, I'm very mechanistically programmed, set up, determined that if, I'm an if-then box, and then mm -hmm. you know, isn't that mostly our, that's, 
right. obviously oversimplified, but isn't that primarily what our current neurobiological theory is? Yeah, I, I, I don't know. I, we've, we've obviously uh, not prepared for this particular conversation. Not that I've like prepared for the other one either, but um, we've clearly like verged into the neuroscience territory. Um, one of the things I did want to ask you, though, was, and I don't know if I'm summarizing it correctly, but you would you had said something to the effect of there's a there's a various number of words um understanding intentionality and so on and so forth that are i don't have the right word wording for it what you said i don't re- exactly recall but it's something along the lines of they're kind of irrelevant to the topic you know you know not necessarily i don't know if you would say that there is no such thing as understanding let's say that you do or whatever but Understanding is not important um, because what we're possibly talking about is something else. Understanding is just a a glossy word we throw on something. I don't know. Did you want to delve into that? Like, because remember you were saying something along the lines of Searle would go one way with understanding and you would go a different way. That he would go the way of saying understanding is a well-defined and real phenomenon that is engaged in by humans and other animals, but never computers. Right. Uh, never digital computers instantiating a program. And, um, yeah, I, so far, with that particular term, wouldn't be able to go very far in any direction because I have no idea what it's supposed to mean to people who use it. What's your guess? So I wouldn't even say that it doesn't exist, but rather it's just a, it's a meaningless term at this point in this culture. Right, right. It's meaningless. My That's guess. Okay, your guess. As to what? What other people think it means? or uh, Other people or you? The whole dang thing? <laughs> what is understanding so I don't know what other people think about this I think that this is one that other people just use without they just kind of know what sentences it fits in but don't really think about what it means mm-hmm. um, something like A facility of manipulation of? Like if I understand some domain or some activity, if I understand welding, whatever, then I can, in general, get along if I attempt to engage with the domain that I'm said to understand. Mm -hmm. So you're getting along is like... You're able to form, you know, uh, particular responses that might be fruitful to your continuing, appropriate. yeah, appropriate, you know, for the continuation of whatever the operation is. Something along those lines. 
Yeah. I thought about this, and so I actually have, uh, and I don't know if we want to go in this direction. I, I think we should. Why not? Because it, 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 it's bring it. It's time. But it's something I'm going to throw it out there, and at the end of this, we don't have to. It doesn't have to be a thing. It could have been adequately uh, taken apart and considered not very useful or whatever, or not accurate, or maybe whatever it is I'm saying the definition of understanding might be. Uh, maybe whatever it is I'm talking about doesn't fit what people might have wanted it to be about, like in the dictionary and stuff. Or what people have been using it as being. Anyway, without further ado, my thinking is this, and it's just fun to think. To understand is for a system to conceive or form an ad hoc model of the relationships that produce a pattern or behavior, a process, through various correlations and inferences. And this ad hoc model can be verified through an investigation with or of the producer of the pattern or behavior. One more time. <laughs> All right. I'll say it without filler. Um. To understand is for a system to form an ad hoc model of the relationships. So it's like an adaptive system, I suppose. It, it takes in information and it, um, it formulates, you know, the kind of arrangement it requires in order to produce some kind of response, let's say. So to understand is for a system to form an ad hoc model of the relationships that produce a pattern or behavior and to do this through various correlations and inferences. It can be verified through an investigation with or of the producer of the pattern. So you can ask, did you mean blah, 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 like to another person or whatever? And they can say, no, that's not what I meant. So your ad hoc model, your little thing that you just produced because you're not quite sure what the hell's going on, um, because you think, you know, well, I'm correlating things that they said, I'm inferring some things or what have you. And maybe I can be specific and say a cognitive system or something like that. But nonetheless, I'm just saying a system. You're kind of coming up with some way to repaint or repattern what it is that you think you're seeing or observing or taking in. Um, and then you can verify that by investigating in some way, form or another or, you know, literally inquiring with the producer of the pattern about the pattern. Like, what, you know, are you doing this? And the person can be like, no, I'm not. Or they can be like, yeah, that's what I'm doing. Whether or not understanding is exact in any particular way is not important. It's just that you're trying to um, find some type of coherence with something you know i don't know that's kind of how i think of it. if i think i understand <laughs> what people are saying with that version it sounds like it works really well for the 
type of usage that we, you know, one of the ways that the word understanding is used nowadays is in a phrase, my understanding is, Mm -hmm. and then you kind of give your model, right? Yours works really good for that. Right. I don't know if it works well on, for me, understanding at least connotes factivity. Like if, like that it's truth functional or something. If you understand it, then you have an accurate model. You know, that there's something that makes some models understandings and some not, and it has to do with whether or not they're accurate. What what do you think about that part? Well, I would just say my assumption is that um, you're fallible, I'm fallible, and we're, you know, I mean, understanding is like an educated guess. And then I can kind of get some kind of uh, congruence by inquiring with you whether or not my guess is a good formulation. And, you know, and you've got to kind of contemplate or, you know, whatever it is, you've got to kind of have some systemic arrangement going on with you that helps you then try and confirm or, you know, you know, whether it is the things that I say to you make sense in some way you know they don't cause any real big alarm bells to go off and you're like yeah yeah that's that's what i mean or maybe you've run across the things that i'm saying maybe you know there's always adages and little aphorisms that people throw out there and you've heard them before maybe you've thought about them or whatever and so when someone says that you're like yeah i just i wasn't thinking i yeah that makes perfect sense or whatever so it's all about just some form of agreement and understanding is just sort of that little model you produce of the situation. And you're like, I think this is what's happening, you know, and you can verify whether or not, you know, the, 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 the river is doing the thing you think it is, or the person you're talking to is doing what you think it is, but it's always going to be rel- relative to the moment and over time, these things are going to change. Maybe you'll acquire more information. Maybe you'll forget some pieces of the model that you initially formulated. But it just keeps going. And so it's always going to be a little ad hoc. It's never because, you know, you're just a fallible human with a brain that doesn't remember everything and can't do everything. But you're trying to get at the basic crux and core of things. Some people do it better than others, I suppose. Um, that's what I was thinking when we want to talk about understanding. I I just I when I thought about it I thought well I'll throw that out there. There's a lot that I like about it. One thing that I feel it wouldn't allow me to say again just kind of looking around for how I now might employ the word understanding in a sentence and I think with your definition this might not work so well is could I ever say well man I went and tested it like Ryan told me to and it turned out I was totally wrong like I thought I understood how rivers flowed but it turned out that I was way off you know your definition doesn't let me be wrong because I still would have understood it sub Ryan because I would have had a model it's just that my model would have been drastically mistaken so in you know what I take to be 2018 American understanding. They would they would be able to say I thought I understood, but I was wrong, and Ryan's version wouldn't be able to say that. 
Well, I would think that you would just be able to then categorize that once you tried to verify if, you know, with the producer of the pattern, and it could even be just something like, you know, you're trying to, you know, uh, phrase what someone wrote or something, and you think you remember what it was, and you think you have an understanding of what it was they were saying, but then you go back to the text, the original text, and you're like, oh, shit, you know, I misunderstood it, you know, so my little ad hoc model didn't kind of match and of course you're probably modeling the entire time that you're reading it so then you've got a couple of different variations of the model generated within your brain or whatever uh that um you're cross comparing and for whatever reason you're putting a priority on the now like you know this is what i thought i wrote it down i come i bring that over i read the thing and now i'm thinking about it what i'm reading this, this idea about, I don't know, stream flow or whatever, some shit. And, uh, you know, I look at what I read, or I mean, what I wrote, I read that, and I read the thing that's written, and I, I was off. Like, there was a few things that were mistaken. I am, I misunderstood it. My little mm-hmm. ad hoc mm-hmm. model like didn't work, you know. So I can be, you can be wrong. And so there is, you know, probably... We do this without even thinking, but we verify. We probably do it, like, a lot. We probably are formulating thoughts about how things are and probably checking in with them rather rapidly, I'm guessing. I'm sure there's probably research into this, even, that we could always pull out or whatever. I don't know. But to me, I'm just guessing that that, to me, seems like understanding. It's it's definitely a lot of, like, but it's, like, in-the-moment ad hoc model making, you know? And, um... We're just constantly trying to, you know, triangulate ourselves within, I don't know, you could say the world or whatever, and to, you know, come up with a response. Sometimes we come up with a response and we get something like we get smacked in the face. We we didn't understand. Our model was, oh, yeah, she didn't want to be grabbed like that or something. Or she didn't, you know, like uh, you know, the, the, the come on or whatever the thing is supposed to be, you know, or I didn't even hear her. So like the, literally the words you're saying, my brain is coming up with this, like, oh yeah, you know, she wants a kiss. I don't know why I'm doing this. It must be the me too thing. <laughs> anyway, um, something like that. Is the, is the ad hoc aspect necessary? Um, I guess Could not. Could also be an understanding if it was arrived at thoughtfully over time and confirmed with many others? Many yeah. Many understandings might turn out to be ad hoc, but it might not be a requirement. That's that's probably, yeah. I mean, ad hoc's probably not particular. The reason why I was thinking ad hoc was because I was just thinking that, like, you know, each, like, rarely is anything universal. You know, like, and so it seemed to me like a way to kind of say that there's an ephemerality, there's a specialness to the moment, and that, you know, you're, if it continues to pass the test, the verification process upon which you, whatever, however, you know, uh, however rigorous it is or vigorous, um, you know, it may continue to, to last, but it probably still changes a little bit from time to time. But I might be being too hair-splitty, you know? You can't get too hair-splitty for a dawdler's philosophy. 
Um, well, yeah, I don't know. I like it. All right. I think that's good. It seems pretty similar to what my ad hoc version Ooh. was, right? Yeah. Um, notice or ask yourself. My understanding of your definition of understanding <laughs> and of computers, it'd be pretty freaking easy for a computer to have that. Yeah, I would think. That's interesting. We probably have ones now. Like a self-driving car program right. must have that Orion understanding of many things. I bet, I imagine, yeah. I would probably be, be you know, correlating, inferring. It's, um, you know, having to figure out the, de- the depth and the distance. I mean, the whole, like, you know, self-driving car analogy is... Or example is 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 a good one, um, you know. It, or if you're even driving, you know, sometimes if you're backing up and there's, you know, cameras in the back of your car that are functioning, um, as to be able to tell the distance between you, your the, the your fender and another fender or something like that, it does this like beep beep beep, you know. And I don't know if you've rented any cars recently, and the the high end ones, I haven't, but I've 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 uh, heard. <laughs> <laughs> I watch a lot of YouTube. Um, but yeah, I mean, there's that kind of thing is, is happening all the time. And you're sort of creating a model. There's something going on. And you're coming up with a correlation and an inference based on all the different factors that, you know, you have been, uh, you know, uh, created to execute and perform and, you know, to, to ingest and all that. Um, yeah, I mean, maybe even sometimes some of these things, verification can be like, you know, shoot out a laser and be like, beep, beep, beep. okay, that is exactly the distance I think it is mm-hmm. or whatever. Like I estimated correctly. Um, another way to verify it is to just like hit the fender, <laughs> you know, anyway. Um, so yeah, I, I, that's sort of, to me, seems like something a computer could do, but I, I mean, I, that's just what I think that when I think about, oh, okay, well, what, what's going on in brains and, and, and thinking, and even just, not even just brains, just like thoughts, like when you're actually trying to, um, when you're reading something like, you know, and, and you're putting all those patterns together, you know, what are you doing? You know, it's, there's, it, it, you know, you have a whole bank of previous things that you're working out of. Um, and so you're trying to associate and you're trying to put in, you know, it's happening probably quite quickly, faster than John Searle can pump out Chinese from the room. Um, you know, and so I don't know, I'm probably talking too much. Eh. Um, yeah. wouldn't it have, it can, it can be done. John, we can talk about the definition of understanding and try to come up with one. Jesus. And then, once done, after that we can check and see if computers can do it or not. Seems to be a methodological order that I prefer. I like it. I know, it's fine. It's it's funny because you talk about definitions in the way that I think people talk about, uh, you know, scientists particularly, uh, talk about hypotheses or... You know, when they, you know, especially in the healthcare science research field, uh, you know, they love to do protocols. I mean, any kind of labby type science, I suppose, loves to do a protocol. You stick to the protocol, you go through with it, 
and then you get your results and you put it out there. You're going to be like, yeah, we had this protocol. That way everybody can be like, okay, we're going to check to see what you said you were going to look for. So you can't kind of fudge it, you know, later behind the curtain and be like, oh, no, this was, isn't this awesome, you know? Uh, the actual, I, I will, I'll be brief, but like, you know, there are these like primary outcomes that in particular, like if you're going to like test a drug and do cl- clinical trials or whatever, you kind of say like, this is what we're looking for. Like, this is what we're trying to, you know, if it's, you know, depression or whatever, this is what we're trying to ease the pain of or whatever. These are our primary outcomes we're looking for. And then there's a whole bunch of secondary ones that, you know, through our sort of preliminary research that we did, we think might be irrelevant. And it, if you put your protocol out there for all to see, then if you come back and you have this big paper about some secondary outcome that, uh, you know, happens to be really uh a great positive result or something like that, they can kind of be like, yeah, but you're what you set out to do failed miserably or whatever. Like, you know, and, and they can be like, yeah, you're looks like you're dodging, you know, cause you said, you, you said this was your protocol or even then, like sometimes if you don't stick to your protocol and you just keep changing it a little bit by a little bit. And by the end you just change it till you get some kind of result that's positive And then you publish that or whatever and get rich and famous or something like that. Um, same thing with a hypothesis. You know, you start out, you just be like, bam, this is the hypothesis. And, you know, I'm going to go out and test if it's, you know, you know, at, at all somewhat accurate or something, or if, or if the information we can collect will corroborate, you know, the idea instead of saying like, well, this was the hypothesis, but then I keep changing it. And then finally I got the result that I liked. And in this case, it's like, there's like not even a hypothesis. There's like nothing. It's just like, boom. And then, yeah, anyway, sorry. So that's why I think when you talk about definitions, it's sort of the same maneuver. Yeah, I think there's a lot of good things about that pattern of behavior. And that semanticists would do well to approximate it more often. Damn right. Um, you know, I want to say something. I'm proud of us. We we went over two hours. We were like, well, how long is it going to take to talk about John Searle in the Chinese room? And uh, we mission accomplished. Hell yeah. <laughs> we can do it. Yeah. So anyway. And expanded our list of future topics. And Yeah. Yeah. All right. Well, uh, did you have any other? I'm ready to call it here. You're ready to call it. Okay. No, that's fine. All right, zero members. Fokker out.